If you'd like to read the bio of our guest speaker today, it's on page 8. It's a wonderful story. I encourage you to read it. But what occurred to me is that the greatest things about a person are not what's written. It's what's between the line. Our speaker today is one who I've wanted to come and preach, and it worked out that it all came together this week in unexpected and surprising ways. But um, what's between the line? What's between the line? Between the lines of the biography is integrity, a person of prayer, a person of grace and leadership. And then as I thought about it and prayed about it this morning, one word began to just, just emerge, and that word is mentor a mentor to leaders, congregations, and now our denomination. Let's give a wonderful resurrection welcome to Reverend Elder Ken Martin, bringing the word today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you, especially on this great day of celebration on your 37th anniversary. Dwayne and I were talking this morning, all those years that I was in Austin, I was in your church for meetings during the week, and he was in Austin for meetings during the week, but neither of us had ever been in the other's church on Sunday. And so after all of these years, it is a special privilege for me to be with you here today to help you celebrate, and as always for me to be with my elder the only elder I have ever had, uh, Reverend Elder Darlene Garner. It is such a, a, an honor and a pleasure always to be with you. There is a Scottish poet and priest who describes God as the one who is always somewhere out ahead of us, calling us to some new place. And he says, when we get there, if we are fortunate, we may see her footprints in the sand, we may smell his fragrance on the breeze, but God will already be gone because God will already be in the next place that we are going to be called to go to. I often think of those words at times like this in the life of our churches, in times of celebration at these great benchmarks that we celebrate and, and times of transition when, when we are thinking about now that we've done this, what are we supposed to do next? Where are we supposed to go next? How are we supposed to know where that is and how are we supposed to get there? Fortunately, our faith story is full of amazing people and fascinating stories and sometimes just direct advice about how to get to where God is supposed to call us next. For example, the author of the book of Hebrews, who advising the early Christian church, which frequently had no idea what it was supposed to do next, gives us three very specific suggestions in the 10th chapter, beginning with the 32nd verse, and it is those that I would like to share with you this morning. First of all, recall your earlier days. When after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, sometimes being partners with others who were being treated in that way. Now, I think I know enough about MCC churches to be able to say with a certain level of confidence that regardless of who you are or how you got here, you didn't get here easily. 
First of all, the writer of Hebrews says, hold the past in remembrance. Remember where you came from. Remember what you've been through. Remember what with God's grace you have accomplished. Remember what you had to put up with. Individually, we did not get here easily. I went to that great march in Washington in 1987, the first march for LGBT rights. Were any of the rest of you at that march? It was quite amazing. I was with a huge contingent of MCC people on that bright Sunday morning, and we were told to meet at a certain place in the park and form up, and the parade would go by us on Pennsylvania Avenue, and the parade monitors would stop the parade at a certain point, and we would step in, and, and that happened, and we stepped onto that street, and as far as you could see ahead and behind, hundreds of thousands of people with balloons and banners and, and drums and bells and the, the crowds on the sidewalks cheering us on and we started moving toward the Capitol and every once in a while they would stop us for another contingent to join and one of those times when we were stopped I was standing talking to a few friends and I, I looked over on the sidewalk just 20 feet away from me there was a young man standing and you know our, our eyes just met and we smiled at each other and I turned back around started talking to my friends again and and something just told me to look back, and I looked back over at him, and he was still looking at me, and he had tears running down his face. And the parade monitors had said to us, now once you get in that parade, don't step out of it. But you know how you just know things sometimes? And I knew that if I did not walk over there to him, I was going to regret it for the rest of my life. And so I just stepped out, and I walked over to him, and we just put our arms around each other and hugged each other. And he whispered something in my ear, and I will never forget it. He said to me, I know what it took for you to get here today. Now, most people would say, well, that's silly. I, he didn't know you. You, didn't know how could, you don't think it's silly, do you? Because we know what it took for us to get here today. First of all, remember where you came from. Remember what it took for you to get from where you used to be to where you are now. Remember when you used to think you'd never be able to look back and say, there was something really seriously wrong back there, but it wasn't me. It was everything trying to keep me from being the person that God created me to be. You know, Walt Whitman said, re-examine everything you were ever taught at home or at school or in church and dismiss everything that insults your soul. Amen. Dismiss everything you were ever taught at home or at school or at church that insults your soul. There are still a lot of people in the world who look at most of us and say, we are flawed and damaged and weak and unacceptable human beings. You know, most of them wouldn't last five minutes if they had to be us. First of all, hold the past in remembrance. Remember where you used to be. Compare it to where you are today. Give thanks to God that you're not where you used to be. Hold the past in remembrance. But remember, individually, it took a lot for us to get here, but we have been made stronger 
by what we have been through in order to get here. I know as a church community you didn't get here easily. Your litany this morning of the history of this church, as a church community, you did not get here easily. We are part of a movement that has had to struggle to be 40 years old. I came into MCC in 1974, right after the New Orleans fire, when somebody threw a firebomb into a gathering. The pastor and a dozen people were burned to death that day. Since then, over 20 of our churches have been burned to the ground. Many others have been vandalized in terrible ways. Many of our leaders and pastors have been harassed and assaulted and even murdered. We did not get here easily as a group of people. Shortly after I became the elder for MCC Region 1 two years ago, I started getting emails from someone in Pakistan, someone who identified himself only as Bhutajani. For months, he would email me and I would email him back. He had found the MCC website on the internet. It took months for us to establish enough trust for him to share with me that he was terrified that our entire MCC website had been set up by the Pakistani government just to trap him. Because he was the founder and leader of a group of over 100 LGBT Christians in Pakistan. I raised the money independent of the MCC budget to go to Pakistan last year and to meet with him and with that group of people. They live in terror because their lives are in danger every single day. They are persecuted by other Christians in Pakistan. They are persecuted by Islamic extreme, extremists in Pakistan. There is a Taliban leader in Lahore whose name is Mohammed Zafiq. When he found out about this group, he kidnapped one of the two leaders, kept him for three days hanging by his ankles, beat him nearly to death, and told him that if he did not disband this group, he would behead him. Many of them are being hunted by their own families. You know, Sharia, Islamic Sharia law says when a family finds out they have a gay or lesbian child, they have to kill them in one of four ways. They have to hang them, stone them, cut them in half, or throw them from a height so great it will kill them. Many members of this group have been killed by their own fathers and brothers. Many others are in hiding right now because their families are hunting them. They live in fear. When I went there to meet with them, I came away saying, I have never met more faithful, courageous people in my life. One night I took a train for several hours outside the city of Lahore to a little town called Pataki to meet with a group, a small group of gay Christian men in a room where the windows had to be covered with cloth so that nobody would know we were in there. I met two young men that night, Shahid and Aslam. They still live with their families because in Pakistan we live with your family till your family arranges your marriage. And these young men have been together in a relationship for five years. The people in this town, because they spend so much time together, have realized that they are a couple, and they have been stoned, and they have been beaten, and they have been arrested and thrown in jail six times just for being together. The last time just for sitting on the same bench at the train station. When I said to them, what do you want me to tell people about your experience? Aslam said to me, tell them they have beaten me, they have jailed me, they have stoned me, but I cannot live without him for one minute. That's when I knew we beat with one heart. We beat with one heart. Aslam's father has been told by other members of other people in the city that they are a couple, 
And I said to him, our, Shahid's father, and I said to him, has your father asked you about this? And he said, no, but soon he will have to. And I said, and what will you say? And he said, I am a Christian, and I will not lie to him. And when I tell him, he will have to kill me. In a, in a suburb of Lahore, I met at midnight with, one night with six young Christian lesbian women who said to me, when our families force us to marry, our lives are over. We will never again get to make another decision about our lives. Right now, you, we in MCC, are sending four out of those six young women to vocational school so that they can learn a trade, so that they do not have to marry, so that their lives will not be over. Regardless of who you are, by the time you find MCC, you did not get here easily. The writer of Hebrews says, recall those earlier days. Now, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say live in the past. It does not say obsess about the past. It does not say catalog and regret and review every persecution you ever suffered, every injustice ever. Sometimes I sit with people and they can, they can quote a litany of every injustice ever committed against them, every bad relationship they ever survived, every lover who ever did them wrong. And I just imagine them going home and in the backyard they have these little injustice gardens. And they take everything and they plant it and they water it and they fertilize it and they nurture it and they grow it and they go out and they commiserate with it. And sometimes I just have to say to them, what a remarkable human being you must be to have undergone all of that and be the person that you are today. Remember the past, remember where you came from, remember what you have endured, remember what you have accomplished and realize it has made you a remarkable person because the past is not supposed to be a source of regret for us. It's supposed to be a source of strength and reassurance. Until my partner Tom and I moved to California in 1980, I had never been aware of the practice of putting little crosses beside the road to mark the site of terrible accidents where people were injured or died. If most of us are honest, when we look back on those journeys that brought us from where we used to be to where we are now, those journeys are marked by little crosses. Along. They're the places where we were knocked down, where we were injured, where our souls were insulted. But when we look back on them now, we realize in every single instance, every instance, God picked us up and brushed us off and breathed new life into us and said, this is a new beginning. This is a new start for you. When we look back on those crosses now, just like the crosses we lift above us when we worship. They are no longer symbols of defeat or shame or guilt, but of power and of victory and of hope in our lives. Remember where you came from. Remember what you've been through. Remember what it took for you to get from there to here. Realize it makes you a remarkable person. So clean yourself up and stand yourself up and dress yourself up and act like you believe it. Secondly, do not therefore abandon that confidence of yours. It will bring you a great reward. You need your endurance so that when all has been done according to the will of God, you may yet receive what has been promised. First of all, hold the past and remember. Second, hold the vision in sight. 
keep the future in sight. In MCC, we have accepted a remarkable vision for our future. It is to tear down walls and build up hope. We are trying to do that around the world by creating worshiping communities that are truly inclusive and truly diverse and which truly welcome all people and declare God's unconditional love for every human being. And frankly, that is just asking for it. I pastored Southern Baptist churches for 12 years before I came into MCC. You walk into a Southern Baptist church, you can be pretty sure everybody in there believes pretty much the same thing. <laughs> same thing is true about most other churches. You put three MCCers together, you've got 14 different ideas about how every single thing needs to be done. I have no reason to think your church is any exception, Pastor. <laughs> this this business of actually welcoming and including everyone is not easy. There are days when I think I never want to hear the words diverse and inclusive again, as long as I live. And then I lift that vision up, and I see what it could mean for our world, and for our people, and for the church of Jesus Christ. I see how it could turn hatred into love and war into peace, the possibility of it giving us unity without uniformity and diversity without division. And I realize again how wonderfully true that scripture is that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. It is not having a great vision that is frightening. It is not having a great vision that is frightening. Or my translation of that verse which says, where there is no vision, the people will go to another parish. Make no mistake, this vision makes us different from most people. It makes us different from most churches. Because what we have decided is the more different we are from each other, the more important it is that we are together. We have decided it's more important for us to be together than it is that any of us get our way all the time. It's more important for us to be together than that any of us gets to be right all the time. Let me tell you my favorite story about that real quickly. In 1985, I was the pastor of MCC in the Valley, North Hollywood, California, and I found out that the World Council of Churches was sending a visitation team there, and they wanted to come to MCC in the Valley. And they were going to come on a Saturday morning, and they were going to have 25 minutes, and so they, I was told to have some of our most articulate people there, and so we were all there, and we were drinking coffee and eating donuts, and I heard sirens, and I walked outside, and here came a string of black stretch limousines and they pulled into our parking lot and then all these other cars pulled in and international press got out and set up and they swept the building for security and then the chauffeurs got out and opened the doors of all these limousines and out stepped all of these bishops and church leaders from all over Asia and Africa and, and Europe and South and North all over the world. This was the World Council of Churches visitation team. We had no idea what we had gotten ourselves in for. They came in, they sat down in our building, they started asking us questions, many of them through their interpreters. After 25 minutes, I realized they had not asked us one single question about the thing that we thought they'd be most interested in, which was that most of us were sexual minority people. You know what they wanted to know? How is it possible for you to come together from all these different backgrounds and worship together? 
Finally, one of the bishops from Northern Europe said, somebody's just got to explain this to me. He said, how can you all come to this table and take communion together when you don't even believe the same thing about communion? Some of you believe in transubstantiation. Some of you believe in consubstantiation. Some of you believe in real presence. Some of you don't. Some of you think this is just symbolic. Some of you just call it an agape meal. How do you come to this table and take communion together when you don't even believe the same thing about it? And one of the lay women in our church, without even missing a beat, said, that's easy for us. We just believe if you'll just come up here, God will turn it into whatever you need for it to be. And you should have seen their faces. The greatest ecclesiological minds in the world. And it never occurred to them that if they just come to the table, God would be able to turn it into whatever they needed for it to be. Frederick Beekner says, you will find your passion, you will find your calling at the intersection between your passion and the world's deepest need. You will find your calling at the intersection between your deepest passion and the world's deepest need. We have a passion in MCC. It's a passion for unity in the midst of diversity. And so we have said that our vision is to tear down walls and to build up hope. That's what we want our future to be. So hold the past in remembrance. Keep the vision in sight. But we don't live in the past, do we? And we don't live in the future, do we? And so finally, we are not among those who turn back and are lost. We are among those who have faith and are saved. So finally, live today faithfully. Live in faithfulness today. My favorite Hebrew scripture is that wonderful verse from Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Sometimes I think it's easier to run and not grow weary than it is just to walk and not faint. If the running part is the fun, glamorous, exciting part of all this, and if the walking part is just to get up every morning and put one foot in front of the other and do the faithful thing today, do the right faithful thing today, then it's easier to run than it is just to walk, and yet that's what we're asked to do. Live faithfully every day because that's the way the past gets healed. That's the way the future becomes a reality. So, resurrection. The message of the writer of Hebrews to you today is this. On this wonderful occasion of this celebration of your anniversary, our past is meant to give us courage and confidence when we learn to remember it without regret. Our future gives us vision and inspiration if we learn to believe in it without fear. And as long as you continue to be a faithful church today, as a Christ-centered church, as a church that reaches out and serves your community, God will continue to bless and prosper you you will continue to be a beacon of God's love in this city and across our movement and all over this world. The Spirit of God is upon you. Amen.